countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from the back seat of the fantastic car, it is the last comic shop! <laughs> is it I guess. Yeah. It's where Sue Storm spends a lot of time. Bam! Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much for being soft and quiet. That's right. We are fueling up the car, I guess, to allow people to fly with us into uh, the new comic universe and, and explore comic books. That's right. And we're keeping uh, a seat warm for the oldies that remember the old comic book stories that uh, are going to be homaged. And some of the books we'll talk about today. Yeah, I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and they never make a homage of me, nor my co-hosts, J.A. Scott or Chad Smith, because we're originals. As well as the wonderful Mikey Wood, who is joining us for this week, rounding out our Fantastic Four. Yes, I'm wearing my Unstable Molecule boxer shorts. <laughs> it's, it's fabulous. Like, like the thing, however. That's okay. right. All the thing wants is pants. That's it. Reed just won't give him pants. He mentions it in this book that we're going to talk about today, actually. <laughs> my calculations, we've arrived at the lobby of... What is it? The, what is it? The, the Baxter, Baxter building. building. Who is this Baxter guy? And how many other buildings does he own? Well, what I want to know is, like, obviously they're on the top, right? But some yeah. of those floors are probably paying rent. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes they rent. Oh, yeah, they're businesses and stuff. Yeah, right. they, well, the the Baxter Building was actually a uh, paper manufacturing company in the 1890s in New York City. So it is actually made with very, very strong A-frame steel construction to carry the weight of all the reams of paper. And that's why the Fantastic Four chose that building, because it could support all the weight of his equipment and things like that. Good. Great. Wow. And you're nervous about the trivia. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be doing Marvel trivia today uh, on our way to reviewing some Fantastic Four that everybody's been talking about thus far this half year at least, and that is Alex Ross's wonderful creation known as Fantastic Four Full Circle, which everybody in the comic book universe was like, "Ooh, look at this with the Alex Ross art!" Ah, and so it would be crazy. Not to talk about that on comic book related podcast. We know where our bread is buttered. We know where our butt spreads. <laughs> this show. Well, that's where that ended up. This is what uh, you get for not inviting me to your hundredth show. So bah. We had you as like a pre-recorded segment. We know you're busy, Mikey. Yeah, that's a lot of shows. A hundred shows. That's like that's that's more than Brady Bunch. That's right. What's so, the syndication number? Is it a hundred? So we we should yeah. start cashing in at some point. Go on oh, USA yeah. Network. Um, right. That's still a PM. thing. I cut cable 10 years ago. I have no idea. You know, it's a thing. It's uh, Marvel trivia. Me as the wonderful host. And then my three co-hosts for this show having one minute to answer as many Marvel related questions as they can. Mm. These are usually for bragging rights. And usually it's Chad doing the bragging because he is thus far undefeated. Chad knows his stuff, man. Yeah, Mikey knows his stuff too, but he's too loquacious, so he doesn't get enough questions answered. <laughs> That's right, I am. So, we're going to make the decision on who gets to go first. Who was the person on this show that last read a comic book drawn by Jack Kirby? I read some Commandy the other day. That's right, cat people! Basically Planet of the Apes, it really kind of is, you know. And those awesome issues where that, like, virus starts talking yeah. to people. <laughs> When Kurt Jack was kind of let off the leash and allowed to do it, he wrote some bonkers stuff. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, so Mikey's going to go first since he read some Jack Kirby. He's right. um, in a box. Okay. Uh-huh. Mikey, you're going to have one minute to answer oh, as many Christ. Marvel related questions as possible. Always the host, so you dodge actually answering questions. I, I, I know. It's such a harsh life I lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True or false, Maria Hill was the first woman to serve as the executive director of S.H.I.E.L.D. No. That is correct. False. It was Sharon Carter. Right. What is the color of the hood that the Captain America enemy Baron Zemo wears on his face? Purple. That is correct. True or false, Daredevil's costume was originally black, red, and white. No. What were the colors? Mustard and ketchup. <laughs> okay. What heroine's identity did Skrull Empress Brank assume during Secret Invasion? 
uh, uh, Mockingbird. That is incorrect. It was Spider Woman. True or false? Captain America only married once to Sharon Carter. False. That is correct. Captain America never married. What was the name of the agency that Norman Osborn creates to replace S.H.I.E.L.D. when he becomes the director of that organization? Sword? Hammer. Hammer? Let's see. Let's count them up here real quick. You got one. I had them at least four. Yeah. You got four, Mikey. Four. We're going to go next with Chad Smith, our reigning champion. J.A. for last. The pressure. Oh, the pressure. All right, Chad. You ready? Ready. Here we go. What U.S. government liaison forced the Avengers to limit their roster to only seven? Gyrick. Gyrick, that's correct. Who was the first Marvel superhero to get a comic book series in the Ultimate Universe? Spider-Man. That is correct. True or false, Hydra is responsible for the creation of both the Red Hulk and the Red She-Hulk? No. That is correct. It was Intelligentsia. Uh, whatever. Uh, true or false, Zebediah Kilgrave has, with his power to control people's mind, is known as the Orange Man. Purple. That's correct. True or false, the Grey Gargoyle is a former Belgian scientist who obtained his powers through a chemical accident. I gotta bet he's not Belgium. <laughs> it's true. He's French. <laughs> what was the name of the superhero team led by Ghost Rider that battled threats like Lilith, the mother of demons? Midnight Suns. Correct. Look at you. See, that's just not fair. The trick is to cut Andy off before he can keep going. That's right. That's true. So get more questions in. That is true. So, so the Intelligentsia did the Red Hulk. So like the, the group that was actually in the She-Hulk TV show. Yeah. Are we that's going awesome. to get Harrison Ford as Red Hulk? Did you know he's been cast as uh, Ross, Thunderbolt Ross? Yeah. See, I think they need to just bring... Betsy Ross and let Thunderbolt Ross die. Just what, like an old lady sewing a flag? I have a more important question. Has Harrison Ford ever had a mustache? I'm sure he's had to have. Navarone, maybe? He wore, he had a full beard at the beginning of The Fugitive. Was it that movie where he gets shot and has brain damage? Regarding Henry? That's it. Mm. Ross needs a mustache, right? Does. He'd be lost without one. Working mustachioed Harrison Ford. No good. No good can come from that picture. All right. So Chad got one, two, three, four, five, six. He is now the leader with six correct answers. All right, J.A., you are up. Can you beat six? Are you ready, sir? I was just looking at some... uh, images on google search for harrison ford mustache and somebody said harrison ford had a mustache like a balkan forest (laughs) (laughs) all right here we go your questions start now true or false in the original version the l and shields stood for logistics true that is false it started for law enforcement throughout much of the 70s captain america shared top billing with which other superhero bucky barnes no the falcon Heroin Echo suffers from what physical impairment? Can't hear. Correct, she's deaf. What is the name of the canine-looking member of the royal family of the Inhumans? Oh, darn it. I forget, pass. True or false, the Inhumans used the Terrigen Mist True. to make up their... True. okay. Maestro was the villainous future version of which Marvel superhero? Maestro? Oh, I don't know. Hulk. Daredevil finds the Kingpin's presumed dead wife and returns her to the Kingpin. What's her name? Olivia. Shit, I Vanessa. Vanessa. I think I got one right. Did I get Vanessa. one right? Well, let's see. Hold on. I am going to give you an opportunity to answer the one you passed on. Lockjaw. That is correct. He is the canine member. All right. So you got Lockjaw. You got Echo. That's two. Three. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. You should be proud. Chad is still the reigning champion of Marvel Trivia. And we will be right back with more of The Last Comic Shop right after these commercial breaks. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you actually beat even Chad by answering all of them right. I didn't get any any layup questions like, uh, well, I guess Lockjaw was a layup. But the Purple Man, the Orange Man, that's lame. Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. 
We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. Have you ever been reading through a stack of comics and thought, maybe I should see what the Sarkham Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were? Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on the comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Alright, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time to get fantastic! That's right, the Fantastic Four is up on our read pile review for this week. And of course, we would be absolutely nuts to not review this book that, like, evidently everybody was talking about. Like, I posted it on Twitter, oh, look what I'm reading tonight. And everyone was like, yee, it's Fantastic Four, full circle with that beautiful Alex Ross art. And so, yeah, we're going to be talking about it today, whether it makes the hype. Uh, for those folks that may not have checked it out before. Uh, it is an interesting project. Chad and I did a little bit of research over the past couple of weeks about like some of the issues Alex Ross kind of pulled from. Alex Ross drew this. Yeah. Are you a fan of Alex Ross? Do you like his other art? Kind of. Uh, it's really weird. It's, no, it's really, really, it's really Alex Ross, who, for those of you who may not know, is also responsible for things like Terminator Burning Earth, which is actually really good. Um, that's like his first work that he did for like Now Comics, I think, way back when. He does fully painted artwork, and he's incredibly good at it, but I, it's usually very posed and very sort of static, and the action stuff is, you know, things like Kingdom Come and things like Marvels, and, and those those are the really big ones. And this book is not that, which is really cool. So Alex Ross wrote it. He also drew it. Uh, colors are by Alex Ross and somebody named Josh Johnson, who I'm not familiar with. But if you're responsible for some of the coloring in here with like the screens and stuff, good job, dude. And lettering by Ariana Marr. It, it's firmly based in Stanley and Jack Kirby early stories, primarily this man, this monster. And I think you guys will get to that part. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get to that 10 cent synopsis before we get into the background. J.A., what is actually the story? of Fantastic Four Full Circle in terms of a plot. Yes, so the Fantastic Four has this thing show up that looks like uh, Ricardo Jones, that's the guy from This Man, This Monster, and then his body opens up and releases the swarm, the evil swarm, all these horrible creature things come out that kind of look like symbiotes mixed with cockroaches and (laughs) It's like the bugs from Plunge. Yes. So uh, they find out that this is coming from the negative zone, so they go into the negative zone to discover who sent them and, and how to stop it. And and then <laughs> things happen, and there's like this spirit of a dead person that's haunting, and that kind of goes for a while. And then you forget about that because they go to the negative zone Earth, and there's Ricardo Jones again in a spacesuit. Because his body is discombobulated, uh, and Reed gives him part of his costume and makes him whole again, and then they go back home. That's about what happens. The whole time it looks beautiful. The negative zone never looked more beautiful, but in terms of sort of a reason for being interested in the storyline, yeah. (laughs) It's another one of Reed Richards' college roommates. He was really bad with college people <laughs> yeah like he's... he blows up victor von doom and then whatever happens to this guy i reckon stanley probably did not have a good high school or college <laughs> if you've ever met reed he, he he does have the tendency to piss people off but it was still great when uh ben grimm just like turns and's like reed you got any more jackass college roommates we need to watch out for that's right <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah. that is why the thing is on the fantastic four to put reed in his place uh, honestly, <laughs> everybody should have a friend like the thing. Honestly, I have several. Chad, J.A., they always keep me honest. Like Reed's a Reed's a dick. Like Reed's <laughs> the guy that you know that's like, here, hey, lick this battery and tell me what happens. Like that's Reed. I, I will say this: as a longtime fan of the Fantastic Four, there is aspects of Reed Richards' personality that I do like, and I think come to the fore in this particular story. I like his excitement. 
It's excitement about going to different worlds and exploring and things like that. That can really energize you. Having yeah. somebody the way a real pioneer that can get like people on board with a project. I, I just I dig that. I dig that as as a personality trait among a lot of people. There's a reason why he's Mr. Fantastic and he's the leader of the group. But speaking of visionaries, again, Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, uh, they were the visionary uh, creators of the Fantastic Four. And Alex Ross does pull a lot of influences for this story from past issues, not just This Man, This Monster, issue 51. But Chad, what other ones does he pull from? So obviously in the, in the beginning of the story, it's This Man, This Monster, but it also references a Fantastic Four annual number six where Reed and company head into the negative zone again and face down Annihilus because they need his cosmic control rod in order to help Sue Storm give birth to Franklin. You also have some references to issue 71 where you, you face down the super adaptoid and there are some callbacks in there. And then we continue to the story of Janice, the Nega Man, from issues 107 to even all the way through 110-ish, I would say. But that also includes Jack Kirby's last issue, which was originally supposed to be issue 102, but Stan shelved it for whatever reason. And then he uh, reconfigured things with, along with John Romita and uh, some other helpers. They put that story back into issue 108. Right. But... Yeah, it's yeah. a callbacks. I think that's going to be I'll, I'll talk about that during my my recommendations or those particular issues immediately following Jack Kirby leaving the Fantastic Four and leaving Marvel altogether to he jump ship to, to DC and start all his fourth world and all that. But yeah, let's talk about full circle and whether we, we liked it or not. And I mm. think I'm going to start by just simply saying as a resident Fantastic Four fan, there were parts of this that I really liked. I have very fond memories of reading the Fantastic Four when I was growing up. And, and part of the joy and the excitement for the Fantastic Four for me was this notion of exploring different worlds. Being with some of your closest friends or family, only relying on each other to get them through like the, these different kind of cosmic places uh, and these threats that nobody had ever seen before. That kind of wonder and enchantment never ceases to bring me back to some sort of childlike state for me, honestly. I'm like, ooh, so when I was reading this, like I'm going through the the pages and I almost felt like pulling the the bed sheets over my head and reading with a flashlight because it was kind of like that for me a little bit. The only problem with it is Alex Ross can't write dialogue worth a damn at all. Ever. No, I'm serious. I had to read it like three times, certain sentences, just because I was just like, I don't even think this is actual English. I, I, but, but here's my question. Was he doing that on purpose? Was it meant to be like Stan Lee from the 60s? Is it meant to be like Silver Age comics? That's what I thought. I thought it was a shtick. Yeah. I didn't. He drew them like they were 60s era Silver Age comic book Fantastic Four, and they talk like Silver Age Fantastic Four. Well, that, that was one of my issues with it was that throughout the book, that it does. It felt very retro on purpose and very throwback. But then they made reference to like, was it Cronenberg or was it Clive Barker? Somebody, they make a reference to uh, Johnny does. So it kind of sets it in modern time. Like, when is this set? When is it supposed to be? It works as a 60s story, very much so, because, you know, they all talk the way they talked in the 60s. And Sue is just basically there to go, oh, Reed, what can we do? That's what Sue does through this whole book, really. You know, she's towards the end. She does more. She gets like tough. She's the one that wants to go and invade the negative zone because they're like, damn it, they came into my house and. Like, let's go beat the hell out of them, Reed. (laughs) Yeah, you get Mama Bear Sue Storm. But I'm glad you brought that up, Mikey, because this book is actually the first effort from Marvel Arts, an exciting new graphic novel collaboration between Marvel Comics and Abrams Comic Arts, where nothing is impossible and anything could happen. Mm. I read from the back cover art. But no, it is. I'm super excited about this. It seems as though they gave Alex Ross the reins of the Fantastic Four. And whereas there are notes to modern continuity in this, where you hear Johnny Storm reference the Hickman story, where he ends up in the negative zone and everybody thinks he's dead. Then again, there are so many different references to pages and pictures and dialogue from classic Stan and Jack stuff. And so it inspired me to go back and read the Stan and Jack stuff. And so 
a lot of those homages really came through. There's a panel in the, and I sent this to Andy when he was talking about the dialogue being a little bit stilted. And I sent him a picture of, you know, Reed and Johnny and Ben in the negative zone. And Ben's like, oh, we're being clobbered. The shield is down to nothing. And Johnny's like, we're being flung like ragdolls. And Reed's like, ragdolls, maybe, but powerless, never. And like, Andy called it out as the Stanley Bombast, and rightfully so. But like, is this not meant to be the dialogue in addition to uh, the art and homage to those classic campy stories? Like, yeah, or or even more to the point, I thought was like when Reed's giving us all the exposition about how he's going to stretch his suit and then get Johnny Storm to cut it, and then it will self-seal so that he can make uh, Ricardo his own unstable molecule negative zone stretchy suit. Like, yeah. do we need three panels on, on like, a breakdown? I'm going to stretch, and he will cut. It will self-seal. I, I, I will give it to you. That is an homage to the original Fantastic <clears throat> Four, where they used to explain everything and gave you, like, layouts of the Baxter building and, like, all the different floors and where they stored the pogo plane. Like, anybody cared where they stored the pogo plane. But the thing is, Alex Ross may have been doing an homage to the things, but the problem with that is it's really hard to do homage to Stan Lee writing. Like, I don't think people give credit to Stan Lee enough for the way he wrote. It seriously had good pacing. It it flowed nicely. It sure was full of bombast and exclamation points, but it had a lot of feeling to it. And and I I just think if you're going to say it's an homage in that respect, I think it was a pale comparison. And I, I just don't think it worked. It was like seeing a copy of a copy of a copy, and you can tell that it's blurry. Uh, that's the way that I thought about the dialogue. Like, it was like, eh, this doesn't sound right. Like, people don't really talk like this, but if you're going to do that, you're not committing to the shtick enough. Like, you don't know how to write like that. I'm not crazy about Stanley's writing for that reason, because it, 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 people don't talk that way. It's, like, overdone and, like, full monologue conversations while you're getting punched in the mouth and things like that. Like, it just doesn't work but my my issue with fantastic four has always been things dialogue just for funsies i tried my hand at writing fantastic four stuff and thing was the hardest thing to write because you know it's clobbering time nobody would say that kind of shit like nobody says catchphrase nobody does that nobody does that and and ross actually he had that down pat like thing talks like thing talked what stinks about it for me is that this is in my opinion which is probably wrong, and we're going to get shit for it. This is the first time Alex Ross has ever drawn a comic book. Wow! He's an incredible illustrator, and he's amazingly talented and better at painting and stuff than probably anybody in the business, like, honestly is. But it's very static. The action scenes in particular are very sort of static and poke because he uses photos to pose it. This wasn't like that. This was dynamic, and this was, the coloring was bonkers and like very Jim Steranko in a couple of places. And they're like, it was just noticeably different from his usual work that I was used to and very enjoyable for me. Heck yeah. To piggyback off of that. I remember when Alex Ross broke onto the scene with, uh, for me, the big things were Marvels and kingdom come. And it was like, Oh my goodness. And then he almost becomes like Nirvana and Pearl jam that inspired all the other grunge bands. It's like, Oh, why did you make that happen? You know, cause you got so much other, you know, Drek that came along with it, trying to ape their style. But with uh, Alex Ross, one of my complaints always was he always used the same actors to base his pictures, his paintings off of. And while they were beautiful, it's weird. It was so close to real life that it actually felt more lifeless than comic book illustrations mm-hmm. sometimes for me. <laughs> the thing that excited me the most about this book wasn't the Alex Ross dialogue, which I guess this is the first time he's been dialoguing, so I'll give him a little bit of a pass there. But it was for... Alex Ross art that legitimately has that spark to it. It has that life to it. And I don't know whether it's the colors. I don't know whether it's because he's homaging so many Kirby panels or John Buscema panels, but there is something here that I haven't seen in Alex Ross's work in years. Mm -hmm. And so I highly recommend if you're a fan of comic book art in general, like if you don't want to be bogged down by the words, you don't even need them. Like, it's so fun. It's so bonkers. It's so vivid. And when they go into the negative zone, you know, it, it's, it becomes like blacklight posters. And then you have some pages that are fully painted. And you have some pages that are just, 
uh, you know, ripped out of a horror movie. And you have some of those collage pages like Jack Kirby used to do. There's so much here and it, it just seems so fun. And I yeah. don't always get that out of Alex Ross stuff. Like, this is just fun the way comics used to be as a standalone. Like, we don't know if this is in continuity. It might be, it might not be. I don't know. I, I just, I love this. It harkens back to the days of the old Marvel graphic novels where it's like, here's something, you know, God loves man kills. What issue of X-Men did that take place in between? We don't know, but it's one of the best X-Men stories. Yeah. It's what this is. I think in my opinion, uh, you mentioned something really important about Alex Ross's work is that he does use actors and he often uses movie star, like, like actual people. And in this one, the fantastic four characters look like the fantastic four. They don't look like, Freddie Mercury's head on Craven's body. They don't look like Errol Flynn for some people or something like, like, you know, you can see those faces of, of people that he's using to model his character. Like, I can't remember who Tony Stark was, but he's like Timothy Dalton. I think Tony Stark is Timothy Dalton or something like that. And I find that distracting. It's like when, when what's his face from the ultimates, when he was drawing the ultimates and he blatantly used, you know, movie star uh, faces for some Brian of the, Hitch. Brian Hitch. Yeah. It's distracting. And there, th- that doesn't, it's not in this book. It's a next level for him. And, and I, and I hope I, I would look up more for, and I've never really, you know, I bought Marvels and, and stuff for Wade and for Loba, you know, that that's what I bought him for this. I would buy another follow-up for Alex Ross. I really would. Yeah. So I was looking through it and I quickly looked through some Marvel stuff that he had done. What I think sets this apart and makes it a bit different and sort of to what your point was chad is the layout it's not just the art itself but how he's laid out the pages it starts out very much similar to what his layouts were in marvels where he'd have like a full page and then he'd have some insert bubbles but as it goes into the negative zone and then he goes on to like the negative zone earth it's much more comic-y laid out and i think that also helps especially the negative zone that when when they're flying through and it's like everything's all jagged and crazy it's coming from all over the place there's so many different colors clashing that the the panels are it's almost dare i say it 1990s-esque where you've got like I'm just going to draw a line through the half the page and half the page will be one panel and the other half will be another panel and they'll have nothing to do with each other except that the colors will be the same. I think in that respect, you know, it's better. It's more of a comic feel. It does clash a bit with that nostalgia and maybe that's where we get a struggle. There's this struggle between the story itself, the dialogue and the art feels like it's a silver age comic but the layout of the art is not silver age at all the layout is much more modern so you got a modern layout but sort of drawn in this silver age style but in some ways this has been alex rush's stick for a really long time part of why i think this particular book is making a lot of comic book fans excited is that alex ross's art has been known primarily as he's an illustrator and a lot of folks have made the uh, a comparison to Norman Rockwell, where it's like, oh, it's like if you drew all the superheroes so that they look like the Saturday Evening Post. And for a lot of us, we're like, we don't care about the Saturday Evening Post. We're comic book fans. Why do we care about that? But in this book, he's like, no, you know what? I'm not pulling my uh, influences from the Saturday Evening Post. I'm not trying to be all hoity-toity and... And, and, and somewhere outside of comics, my influences are actually from comics. I'm going to say, this is my interpretation of Jack Kirby. And we all, as a comic book fans, love Jack Kirby. And so when you have him basically doing an homage of somebody that we like and have fond memories to, I think it hits a little bit more home for us as comic book fans. We go, yes. But the colors, man, the colors. Well, you're right. I actually had a a pair of old-fashioned 3D glasses that were in one of my drawers, and I actually put them on for a few minutes because I wanted to see if there were things that popped when you wore old-school 3D. And and they did. There were some purples. There were certain black outlines that really just jumped off the page. So uh, as an interesting experiment, if you happen to have a – a set of old 3D glasses. And again, not the ones you get in movies nowadays, but the old yes. red, and blues. red and blues. Throw a pair of those on as you're reading this book. 
I think you'll be interested. And I think you'll also be interested in our rating section. It's going to be coming up right after these messages. So stay tuned for more talk about the Fantastic Four Full Circle, as well as our recommendations. What happens when 20-something Madison is zapped into old-time radio shows? No technology. Ugh, I want to go to voicemail. No Starbucks. Don't call yourself a coffee shop if you only sell drip coffee. And no one is PC. I don't need no lip from... Were you about to say woman? Because I'm wearing a gun and I have no idea how to use it. Madison on the Air serves to highlight the way we were and the way we are today with original radio drama scripts adapted to include the modern-day Madison as she joins famous characters from radio's past, including Sergeant Joe Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. I've never actually said that. Marshal Matt Dillon. We're not having a shootout with a 10-year-old kid. I'm too woke to be a part of this. Superman. I didn't realize how cold it would be flying like this. I have to get into the higher atmosphere. And many more. Visit us on the web at madisonontheair.com or find us pretty much any place podcasts can be found. You talk so old-timey. I have no idea what you said, but it's adorbs. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our rating. Again, we're going to give you paper, just like the, the, the Baxter building was famous for. We're going to give you the paper. We're going to say, here's here's our rating of this particular book. Again, we, I think we could talk about this for a really long time. There were yeah. some things we didn't touch upon at all. And yeah, anyway, like we didn't we didn't even mention Annihilus at all. Yeah! To and, and, and that dead evil spirit thing. I still don't understand that point. There was like five pages of dead evil spirit that looks kind of like Dracula. Well, there's three pages uh, of Annihilus eating dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. So the spirit thing, the Nega Man, it's the like the negative version. He's actually two people. Like when uh. Superman became Superman Red and Superman Blue. It's like uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now we, we got to get to our rating. Enough of all this stuff we could talk about. J.A., what is our rating scale for this week? Okay, so one out of four Nega Bands. I'm glad it's coming back to the Nega Bands. Nega, uh, Nega, Nega Death. They're, they're awesome. He spent a lot of time there, Marvel. Every single time Rick Jones wanted to get lucky with some lady. <laughs> yeah. I put the tie on the door. It's fine. Go to, go to the mega zone. <laughs> All right, Mikey, you're going first. How many? Oh, hell. Um, out of four? You yes. guys use fours, right? Um, you know what? I think I'll give it like a nice three. Like, an, it's a nice three. Like, it's, you know, it's a little silly and stuff. But then so are the Fantastic Four comics to begin with. It's beautiful to look at. Absolutely beautiful to look at. You know, and I've struggled so hard with being that guy who just something about Ross's work just didn't like whenever he paints posters of superheroes, he shows how dumb superhero costumes would look because he goes for the realism angle. And it's like they would look horrible. They don't in it. Like, it's just it's just gorgeous. It's a nice it's a nice step. I love it. So three. Yeah. All right. Jay, you're up next. Yeah, I think I'm going to echo what Mikey went with. Uh, It's a three for me. Uh, The dialogue is a bit stilted, but I think it's meant to be that way. I think it's meant to be a bit of a throwback. The art is gorgeous. You're buying this for the art. I mean, it's called the Marvel Arts series. It's not called the Marvel Plot series or the Marvel Script series or the Marvel uh, Literature series. It's the Marvel Arts series. And it really takes off when they get into the negative zone, when Alex Ross could use all those different colors. Uh, there's blues and purples and reds and oranges and, and everything. It's a fun story. It's a fast read. And it's something that I'm glad it was put out in, in a larger format. It's not a regular comic size format. So it really takes advantage of the publication medium. The pages are thick. The whole presentation is quite nice. The dust cover, actually, the inside dust jacket unfolds into, like, four panels uh, to tell, essentially, the the Fantastic Four story. Oh, yeah. This would work as an introduction to the Fantastic Four to someone who might not know a lot about the Fantastic Four as well. So I think it's aimed at comic book fans, obviously, but if you've got someone who's maybe they watch some MCU stuff, they haven't ever really read comic books. You could get them this and they wouldn't feel like they're getting in, in too deep or into a storyline that they don't know what's going on. Well, I'm going to jump in next with my rating and I think I'm going to give it a three, a 3.25. I think I'm going to go a little bit higher than you almost a three, five. It could have been a four. And that is my big lament 
for this whole entire book. But real quickly, I did want to say that if the MCU, when they do eventually roll out the Fantastic Four, if they don't take a page out of Alex Ross's playbook in terms of having just like five minutes tops to explain the origin of the Fantastic Four and just basically doing it in kind of that panel thing that he did at the beginning of this book, do some narration, just do it five minutes and then just get it, get it out of the way. I think it was beautifully done with the artwork and everything. It's everything you need to know about the Fantastic Four in about five panels. And it was awesome. But again, my big lament about this is even though the Alex Ross art is awesome and I, and I, I could gush too, but Chad, Mikey, J.A., they've done it for me. I, there's nothing I can add to that conversation other than, oh, gee, it was real nice, guys. Um, <laughs> I, so I'm going to comment on the, the writing because it's, it's something that we haven't been commenting on. And I think that there was a great opportunity missed here. I would have loved Alex Ross to have collaborated with somebody that actually really writes comic books well. I would have loved to see Mark Wade write this, have their team up again. Even if you wanted to go, you know, some of that bombast of the 60s and 70s, get somebody like Jerry Conway. Jerry Conway's still around. He still writes really good stuff. Have him come in and write a plot. This would be very similar to what Stan Lee would have asked him to do back in the 70s. He can remember that. And, and unfortunately, instead, you get Alex Ross kind of doing his best to give us a story and give us dialogue that kind of fits that. But it just seemed off to me. And it felt like it took me out of the story a little bit. And again, it was exciting for me because this is the Fantastic Four I love. And I'm so excited about people rediscovering the Fantastic Four in this way. Because I think like they are one of the flagships of Marvel. And oftentimes they're overlooked with all the other characters out there. The X-Men, the Spider-Man, and, and even the Avengers nowadays. It's the Fantastic <laughs> Four. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm it, it, they're overlooked because the other ones are cooler. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> There, there's a reason why there's four of them. It's because they're square. Oh, don't listen to my co-host. The Fantastic Four are awesome if done right. And this this book proves it. Chad, you're up. Okay, so I'm going to start not by talking about the book itself, but by talking about the Abrams Art Initiative. Because this is a company that is like next level comic book nerd stuff. Right. If you're super into comic books, you owe it to yourself to check out the Abrams catalog. Uh, they have a lot of stuff in addition to the Marvel stuff, obviously, whether it is my friend Dahmer published out there, uh, the Kent State book, which is awesome. But they also cover a lot of the pop culture stuff for Marvel. And so you'll get things like a book of blacklight posters. You'll get things like the Jim Lee trading cards in book form. You'll get things like the the panel by panel where they will take Fantastic Four number one. They have a Spider-Man one that's coming out here soon. And they will each panel is a page, basically, in like a Chip Kid-esque designed format. Mm -hmm. They have the value stamps. There's all sorts of really cool stuff. The Night Eaters, which won all the awards recently from Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. That's an Abrams Arts book. But they are, they are taking comic books and giving you that next level stuff. And I think the presentation here for Fantastic Four Full Circle is next level. Whether it's the dust jacket that J.A. Uh, mentioned that folds out with four panels and has the recap of the Fantastic Four origin. Whether it is the interior pages that has the giant two-page spread picture of the Fantastic Four and all the different colors. I love it so much. Or the art in here, which... As Mikey and Andy and Jay and I have all gushed about, it is next level stuff for Alex Ross. By somehow taking a step back from his uh, traditional painterly style, he's really managed to achieve next level stuff. And so all of that, you know, for the, the price you're going to pay for this, as opposed to getting a handful of, of regular comic books, like it's definitely worth checking out. Is it a story that's like the best story of all time? Like earlier I was talking about God Loves Man Kills, which is one of the best X-Men stories. I, no, it, it's not. But is it fun? Is it worth looking at? Is it worth gushing over the pages and looking at those, you know, almost the black art poster pages in there? Like it is. It's so beautiful and so awesome. So I, I don't know how you guys are not up in the four categories here because this is this is a four out of four uh, mega bands. 
I think it is worth looking at. And I think in general, the Abrams Arts books are definitely something. If you are a comic book nerd looking to level up, their their catalog has so many cool things. So I'm excited. This is the first one of the Marvel Arts. Boy, I can't wait to see what comes next. I can't wait to see what other artists they give opportunities like this where they're just able to run free and have books that are sort of not bogged down by continuity but can reference what they want. Everything about this makes me so excited. Very cool. And uh, Chad not only gave us his rating, but he also gave us his recommendation with checking out all those awesome Abrams books. So make sure that you pick those up. And let's get to other recommendations on this particular show to wrap things up. And we're going to go ahead and start off with Mikey Wood. So, Mikey, what's your recommendation for this week? Well, the Abrams, they they do the Dune books, and they also do... Congressman John Lewis's book Run too, which is which is also wonderful. But the, I'm not doing either of those, but they're wonderful. Tonight I, I I had a hard time picking something, so I decided to pick something that was painted because Alex Ross paints his con. Not not particularly. I don't know how he did the colors on this one. I would imagine so. It's probably a combination of stuff. But anyway, I chose The Fountain, written by Darren Aronofsky, painted art by Kent Williams. There's a film called The Fountain, uh, which is a wonderful Aronofsky film. He originally was going to start filming it in like 2002 with Brad Pitt starring. The cost of the film went up, 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 and the studio was like, nah. So the project fell apart. He decided, you know what, I'm going to do it as a comic book. And he started doing it as a graphic novel. And then they got the funding and the movie came out with Hugh Jackman. And it, it really is you know, it's an Aronofsky film, so it's a bit of a head trip, but it's beautiful. And the graphic novel itself is beautiful and moving. And it's just, I mean, it's just gorgeous. Kent Williams stuff is fabulous. So there you go. Highly recommended by Vertigo. It was a Vertigo. I know, it's uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, Mikey loves his Vertigo. I sure do. Uh, J.A., what do you love this week? Well, Vertigo is the best DC imprint. Let's be honest. So I'm going to recommend something that's sort of similar in that it is a standalone graphic novel that was released in hardbound that was a combination of Stan Lee's writing and a really beautiful art, this one by Keith Pollard. And it is Silver Surfer, The Enslavers. Oh. And sort of like... Fantastic Four, Full Circle, it is a story that is a little bit hit or miss at times. The dialogue is a little bit hit or miss. It's, you know, Stan Lee at his bombastic best. It's this crazy story where there's this giant alien fly around the universe enslaving planets to turn them into batteries. The Matrix probably grabbed a little bit of stuff from them now that I think about it. Silver Surfer ends up going to back to Zenlaw and he finds it barren because they've all been sucked up to become batteries except not Shalabal she's been turned into like uh, part of the emperor's sex slave <laughs> stuff and then there's this side story where the emperor's chick has a fling with the Silver Surfer by pretending she's Shalabal and, uh, and that Silver Surfer says even though my eyes and ears may deceive me, my heart knows. <laughs> and, and then, like, all of the Earth's superheroes fight this guy, and they can't defeat him because he's... Basically, his power comes from the ship, so all the, the peoples of the universe are powering his power, and then the Silver Surfer defeats him by giving his power to somebody else and letting the the emperor beat him up while the other guy goes off and blows the ship up and then the ship gets destroyed the emperor loses the power so for sure the story's batshit crazy but it's beautiful artwork it's funny because like I, I have I have to mention this because it's it's something kind of interesting because Stan Lee wrote that that Silver Surfer book and and Chad mentioned that Alex Ross on this book kind of reined it in a little bit and has some of the best stuff that he's did. Stan Lee wrote something like that, but when he reins it in, you get Parable, which is one of the best Silver Surfer books I've ever. Far none, yeah, because he pulls it back a little bit, like he reins it in. So anyway, maybe that's maybe restraint is is actually kind of uh what some folks need so sorry <laughs> no that's fine so my recommendation this week is uh, also uh, kind of related to today's book because it deals with some of the issues that alex ross pulled from as we mentioned there's a couple issues in the hundreds of fantastic four's original run uh, that deal with janice the mega man 
And it's actually part of a collection that you can get. Uh, it's, it's volume 11 of the Fantastic Four Marvel Masterworks collection. And I'm a real big fan of this particular set of issues from a historical perspective, because as I mentioned earlier in the show, these are the first issues that Jack Kirby wasn't involved with. His baby, the Fantastic Four. I mean, this put Marvel on the map. His collaboration with Stan Lee in creating the Fantastic Four, you don't have Marvel without that. So this is basically the, the equivalent of the first albums after the Beebles broke up, uh, in which they're still trying to find their way and, and what's going to work for them. And Stan Lee is still plotting and sometimes scripting these issues. But you have art by John Bushima, who I love. But it's not John Bushima that you see in other things, such as Avengers work. It kind of is like John Bushima aping Jack Kirby, uh, making it look as much like Jack Kirby as possible. It might be those Jolton Joe Sinnott uh, inks on the John Bushima. That is true, too. That is true. It is the were, same inker. Uh, were, they good trying, call. were they trying to do like a gradual I uh, think gradual so. progression? Like where they were like introducing the pencil and where they like try to draw like Jack for a little bit and then slowly become. Right. Like, well, I, I think it had something to do with that because, again, to Chad's point, uh, there is an issue sandwiched in between all these ones that John Bushima drew, which is actually drawn by Jack Kirby. So it's kind of like, all right, you don't want that to stick out like a sore thumb. But uh, long story short, there's a lot of great stories in this. And uh, Archie Goodwin scripts some of them. And I really do love Archie Goodwin as a writer. The thing becomes human for a little while and actually has the ability to not only be human, but to change back and forth from Ben Grimm to the thing like everybody else can in the Fantastic Four. So he doesn't have to choose between the two powers. Of course, this also makes him very angry. And so like he eventually gives up this power because he's fussy. But you also have uh, an interesting story with uh, Annihilus and this Nega Man and another one with the Overlord who has the most fanciest hat of all the Fantastic Four. <laughs> it's like Galactus, except to give him 16 antlers on either side. <laughs> but it's fun. It's, it's the Fantastic Four I love. And there's a great issue. I always love a good Thing Hulk slobber knocker. Anytime those two throw down, you actually get that. And in this issue, it's actually the Hulk who's the good guy. Because the Thing is being a jerkwad. And so it's like the Hulk has to put him down and be the voice of reason for once. Which is kind of a nice uh, uh, flip-flopping of that. But you have that great John Bushima cover of the tomb fighting. And it's got the Dan Lee's Nuff Said on the cover. It's really great. A lot of people think that's actually the first fight between the two of them. It's not. But it should be because it's such a great cover and such a great issue. But yeah, Fantastic Four, a Marvel Masterworks, Volume 11. And, uh, it has Doctor Doom leading the Fantastic Four for the first time. So you know you're in for a treat. And another treat that we have for all of you is uh, more episodes of The Last Comic Shop. They're going to be coming out all for the rest of this year and well into 2023. We've already signed our lease on our Baxter building. So, again, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com will be our website for another year. So make sure that you're going out there, rate, reviewing, and subscribing, and finding that podcasting platform that you love best so that you never miss another one of our episodes. Because we've got great ones coming up for the remainder of 2022 and beyond. In addition to that wonderful website that's been re-upped, you can also find us on the social medias, whether it is Twitter or Instagram, at Last Comic Shop, uh, where you can find things like weekly polls, you can find some Golden Age covers to help tuck you into bed at night, you can find comic conversation and things that we think are weird and all sorts of stuff out there on the social media. And if you don't remember where it was, you can always head back to the home base, www.lastcomicshoppodcast, where they can find what else this week, J.A.? Oh, we've got links to our merch store every week, not just this week. Every week you can find links to our merch store. We do have uh, changes in stuff available on the merch store dependent on the season and also what comic book we're reviewing. So if we review like a Red Sonia comic book, sometimes you can get some chain mail. This week it is Unstable Molecule t-shirts. Oh, so I can oh. use my powers while I wear it? Yes. Sign me up too because I get fat and then less fat and then fat again so I need shirts that can adjust accordingly. 
There you go. Speaking of season, it's our Christmas shirt. It's available out on the website right now. So make sure that if you have a loved one that needs something last comic shoppy to wear around the Christmas tree this year, get him a shirt. It's awesome. J.A. came up with that great logo with the Santa flying over the last comic shop house. Uh, we really love it. And it makes for a great stocking stuffer for any comic book fan. Yes, red or green heather. Gotta love the heathers. Mm-hmm. All right. And while we might be the last comic shop podcast you need, we don't actually want to be the last comic shop. So we encourage everybody to get out there. If you need to use the comic shop locator, www.comicshoplocator.com, you can do that thing. But find a place near you that might have Fantastic Four Full Circle by Alex Ross. Or find something that has The Fountain or The Silver Surfer in Slavers. Or Fantastic Four Marvel Masterworks Volume 11. Or any of those Abrams books I talked about, or the book I was going to recommend, which is in the opposite direction. It's the old Marvel Essential Collections. They're almost like phone books. They're printed on that that crappy newsprint paper they used to do. They're printed in black and white, and I had to use these for reference for some of these Fantastic Four stories. And I'll be honest, a lot of these you can find cheap comic conventions or whatever. If you have the opportunity, pick them up. Because they're great, and Jack Kirby's art really holds up in the black and white. So that's my real recommendation, are these old Marvel Essentials. But only if you get them cheap, because while the art holds up, the uh, the actual books themselves don't. The uh, <laughs> covers are falling off, and like, you read them yeah. too much. Most of mine actually uh, have crayon all through them, because my kids thought they were coloring books, and just, just well, basically went they crazy. Are. They kind of are comic Yeah! That would be a great idea. I mean, if you want to use them as such, you can. I've got, I think, a Marvel team-up one that just has Spider-Man's purple, and I don't know. It's interesting stuff, I guess. And something else that's interesting is uh, making sure that you come back to the last comic shop next week. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Jay Scott, Chad Smith, and the wonderful Mikey Wood. And we hope that you stay safe, stay fantastic, and remember that uh, Bill Murray actually played the human torch so if you can ever track down this old radio version of the original fantastic four stories that nbc in new york did you get some early bill murray saying flame on what a revolting predicament The last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.